Living in retrospect is a bad idea, and sometimes we let our same old stories hold us back from the new adventure God has for us. But here's the truth. God wants to restory us, transforming our tales of tragedy into epics to anticipate. In this podcast, Mary DeMuth interviews people who have lived through God's powerful restory process, where they've discovered healing, joy, and a brand new perspective. So let's shed that old, painful story and find the freedom we've been longing for. The Restory Podcast starts now. Restory Episode 9. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash restory. Now they have over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or your MP3 player. Today, I am joyful and excited to welcome Becky Schaefer to the ReStory Show. She has a crazy story too, and this is why it's called the ReStory Show, because I'm always asking people what their stories are. And uh, I don't want to give it away, but she has definitely been somebody in my life who exemplifies not only resilience and the ability to move beyond pain, but she's taken that pain and she has created a new life for herself, but not only for herself, but many others. So she's one who loves to rescue and help and, and just watch God do amazing work in other people that have struggled in the same way that she has. So I pray today that her words would give you bravery. So let's listen to Becky's story. All right. Hey, everybody. This is Mary DeMuth, and I am so excited to have Becky Schaefer on the ReStory podcast today. Um, you don't get to see this, but I get to see her lovely face, and uh, we live far apart, so it's fun just to connect this way. So, Becky, thank you so much for coming on today. Mm-hmm. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. It's just great. So uh, we met in a funny little way. So Becky, I think you stalked me a little bit, maybe. I did, uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, just a little <laughs> bit. And uh, she asked if I would come up and do a keynote for a fundraiser for a ministry that she's involved in. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that ministry? Um, Saving Grace serves girls that are aging out of foster care or homeless in Northwest Arkansas. And we have a super unique program. They come and live in the building that we have. And um, we teach them life skills and job skills. But the biggest thing we do is just really walk through a painful journey with them. um, For Hopefully, our hope is that they'll find healing and restoration in Jesus through all of that. Yeah. And you did this, um, and we'll get into your story in just a second, but you saw a huge need, right? So what's the, what's the need out there for people aging out, girls aging out of the foster care system? About 80% of the girls who age out of foster care go back into the system within two years after leaving um, aging out. That's either through having a baby and getting, you know, becoming dependent on the government for support or going, you know, becoming incarcerated, going to the local or county jail. Um, that kind of thing. So not like positive <laughs> things. It's not like you want to go back into the system. Right. right. Uh, okay. So I know that there's a reason that you have a passion for this ministry. So take me back to your crazy childhood and some of the things that happened to you when you were small. Well, I grew up with a mother um, who was mentally ill. And probably as I'm um, getting older and doing a little more research on my end, forgiving a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized that she probably uh, has uh, autism. 
Ah. is probably a big uh, hindrance. Yes. <laughs> for what, uh, because she had five children um, and she did not know how to take care of us. And she was horribly abusive, violently abusive. And as a child, I slept with a Bible on my chest because I believed it would protect me from her um, wow. because I was afraid she would kill me in my sleep. Mm. So very, um, she was either completely um, doped up on Valium and passed out and slept all the time, or she was violent. There was nothing in between. So you probably actually liked the sleeping all the time part of her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> oh, good. Yes. Mom's asleep. We'll get hit today. Yes. So you had four other siblings, too. I have I have um, two brothers and two sisters. Okay. Um, and another thing that we um, struggled with deeply that really fed into, I think, my mother's um, highs and lows was the fact that we grew up in extreme poverty. Like we would go days without eating. And when school was in session, that's when we ate. Usually we always were, we had breakfast and lunch. And so there were many times I would go to the refrigerator and open it and there would be nothing, no, no condiments. It would be an empty refrigerator. You know, that's most of the time I would go to a neighbor's to eat or to school. But there was a lot of neglect and an, an enormous amount of abuse growing up. So then after that, uh, things kind of broke up. And so how did that mm-hmm. happen? Um, there was, um, I had a feisty social worker who um, I really believe that I was such a bad kid that I, she retired after me because I wore her out, but she was just <laughs> old. Uh, but she saved my life in mm. a lot of ways because she came in and plucked me out of that situation and sent me to a children's home. Um, and so things did get better um, from there. You did um, get did, food and you were yes, taken care of. Yes. And-, and, and I was loved and cared for. Growing up before my mother and even after going to the children's home, I did, um, I was sexually abused Mm. and had to deal with those issues. Not so much as a child, I think because as a child, I felt I asked for it. I felt like somehow it was my fault and always felt like they could do so much more to me and they didn't. So what good men they are, you know, Mm. very well. (laughs) Yeah, but that's how I felt as a child. Um, and so that was really difficult to overcome more in my adulthood than my childhood. Yeah. I, you know, you know, my story as well. And it, it, when it's happening to you, you can't, as a child, you can't logically process it Mm. like an adult would logically process it. So you wait until you're in your twenties or thirties and then you're like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that (laughs) happened to me. I need to process this. Mm -hmm. But I think it really helped me to, um, because I excused the abuse all the time in my own head and heart. And for years, I never, I didn't tell anybody about some of the abuse I endured. Um, I was almost 40 when I finally spoke out about um, abuse uh, from a childhood, a person that was supposed to protect me as a child. But it wasn't until I looked at them like as if they would have done those things to my daughters. Right. That changed everything mm-hmm. because I was, in fact, I got very angry <laughs> mm-hmm. because, um, and I hadn't been. That was the first time I got angry about it at all was when I thought if they would have done that to my children, would I have been okay like I was with them being okay I was okay with them doing it to me, and I somehow it was my fault as a twelve-year-old, but not um, not to my babies. Right, and so that changed everything. And that was really when true healing began. Yeah, and it's a funny little thing that this weird little journey that God brings us on. We have children, and they reach the age that we were, and you suddenly realize that you weren't an adult back then. 
Yeah. You see how little they are and how innocent and how, of course, they didn't, they couldn't have invited that or they couldn't have wanted it or they didn't deserve it or any of those things. So it just is such a stark thing to see them. And, and you're right. I, I think it can really open the door to healing. I think some people will just try to shove it down even more, but right. I'm grateful that you have, you know, been able to talk about it and walked through some new healing because of that. So you were, you were how old when you were in the children's home? Um, 12 to 19. I was 19 years. I turned 19 right before I went to college. Um, and when I went to college, it was more because I needed a place to live. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so much because I needed an education, and um, I went to a Christian college because I had a foster mom who really pressed me to do that. Um, but then I found out that the dorms were going to close at Christmas, and I was going to have to leave, mm. and I had no place to go. Oh no! So I was pregnant and married in that order, and my mother-in-law doesn't like me to tell that part, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's the truth. Um, yeah. I was pregnant and married by Christmas, and um, and Kent and I have been married for 27 years, and we have a, we we've been through a lot in our, our marriage, but God has even even restored that. Uh, my word last year was um, revival, mm. and revival happened not just in my marriage, but just in my life. Um, even though you're in ministry full time, and you know this, in ministry full time, you still get tired and you let your guard down and the enemy comes in with doubt and fear mm-hmm. and all the things that you've done wrong. And, and, um, so, so it has been, uh, God has, God restored my marriage as well. So, um, when you were in college, that it was a Christian college, were you walking with the Lord at that time? Did you know him? What was your relationship with him? I did. And I had a really, as a little girl, that somebody introduced me to Jesus years and years ago. Mm-hmm. And even after my mother would have just, she would just hit and, hit until she didn't have any energy to go on. Mm. So she would, sometimes she would hit until I lost consciousness. Mm. She would wait until I woke up and she would finish. And then she would just like almost be defeated. Like, you know, like, so glad this is over. Hmm. And she would walk out of the room and I would wait until I could hear her breathing deeply. And I would go lay in my backyard and I would talk to God Hmm. Um, and I would ask him if he would just please give me a new mom and dad and brothers and sisters and some horses. <laughs> <laughs> of and course, he- horses. Why not? <laughs> ask for everything. Yes. <laughs> Since I'm asking. <laughs> he gave me those things um, when I was sent to the children's home. And, and so I had a very close relationship with the Lord. In my, in my mind, even now as an adult, but um, as a child, I would just imagine each night when I was at that children's home that I would crawl up in his lap and go to sleep at night. Mm. And that's how I, he's always been my Abba, my daddy, but I knew that I disappointed him. And that's where the enemy comes Mm. in, all this self-doubt and you're never good enough and you shouldn't try that because you can't do it because you're dumb and Mm. all those things. But the Lord and I have a really good relationship. And we did then, um, I did have a good relationship in college with him, but I was in survival mode and I didn't, I didn't trust anybody. I kind of trusted God, but I didn't obviously trust him all the way because he, I didn't wait for him to provide. (laughs) Right. Force the issue. Um, and he used it for his good and glory. But it was it was hard at times. And, and I know that that is what saved me later, my saving grace, so to speak, mm-hmm. was the fact that I did know the Lord and I did have a good relationship with Him. And I had learned to trust Him at His Word, which right. is hard. Yeah. You know, his Word, um, that He knit your kids, He knit my girls together. So if He knit me together and I trust Him that He knit me together, 
that when I, when he created a little girl in my mother's womb, mm-hmm. that the heavens rejoiced that I was a girl before my mother even knew I was there. Well, I have to trust that same word for my own children. Mm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy to trust for me, but it's hard for me to let him have my babies. Um, so there was a lot of things I had to work through to get to that point where I truly, truly knew that he was going to restore my heart. Right, right. So when you were growing up, where was your father? He came home long enough to make more babies and <laughs> leave again. <laughs> um, he was not a bad person. He just was an absent person. Um, he had another family in the town, and um, I did not really have – I didn't have a good or a bad relationship with him. I just didn't have a relationship with him. He was never hurtful or mean or anything like that to me. But I – I mean, knowing how my mother behaved all the time, I kind of have a little bit of sympathy towards him mm-hmm. for not wanting to be there. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he left us with a mentally disturbed woman. Right. So, right. you know, yes. so do that too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that I, that's something that I think a lot of people have to work through. Like there, there's this main parent that is kind of the problematic parent. And then there's this other one that didn't protect and that is a, its own stage of anger and bitterness yes. too of why yes. if you loved me why did you let me hurt you know why did you exactly. not protect me and not being protected is a huge thing and especially you know carrying that into your relationship with God and learning to trust is very hard yes. and so then you're in college and you trusted a man um after you have this absent father what was it about your pre-husband <laughs> at that time <laughs> your boyfriend uh that attracted you to him um well he was really cute he still is well of course there's that. Um, <laughs> I think it was the fact that his parents were still together mm-hmm. and that he was very very smart mm. um so I felt like he would be a good provider and and I think I was probably I think I really liked him a lot I definitely don't think I was in love with him I only knew him for three months before we got married and he knows these things this yeah. is nothing new. we've talked long and this is uh, not revelation he's not gonna yeah. hear this podcast and go what <laughs> yeah <laughs> And I think at one point we um, were in marriage counseling, uh, which has been quite a joke, actually. But anyway, that's a whole other show for us. Um, But we realized that I had nothing to glean from when it came to the marriage. I had nothing to bring into the relationship because everything I knew was brokenness. And so, um, but even with the relationships with my foster parents, everything was very picturesque. There were never, they never fought there's never any yelling or anything like that. Yet there was a solid, um, I could tell that I was not their child. Mm. Um, and I think for me, I was in my mid thirties when I finally grieved the loss of not having any parents and not having what, you know, what I felt was grandparents for my children. Right. And it was a long, long process of grieving. Like somebody died kind of grief. Yeah. You know, until your face turns wrong side out kind of grief. <laughs> And it was hard. And it was hard. And it was in that journey that God really began to restore my heart and bring me to a place where He could do anything through me because I trusted Him to do so. Today for the listeners of Restory, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to check out their service. Today, I'm going to suggest to you to try Daisy Chain, which is written by myself. It's a novel. And it deals with a lot of the issues that Becky brought up in her story. 
And so um, that is actually the first of three books, and all three of those are available at audible.com. You can download them at audibletrial.com forward slash restory, or you could choose any other book. And again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash restory for your free audiobook. So now, um, you know, fast forward a bit, or maybe fast forward to what was the kernel of starting Saving Grace? What what kind of goaded you forward? Did you always know you were going to do it? Or no, um, it was about probably about ten years ago that I just began. My husband and I were foster parents for eighteen years, and just continued to see the same trend where these kids were aging out. Um, and we were at a children's home for several years and we just saw this same trend where we were so, we, we worked so hard when they were with us, all of us did. Um, and then it was like when they went home, there was a disconnect. And part of that was because they were 18 and going, I'm all done with being parented. But some of that was just lack of tools, lack of relationship, um, to get them, you know, moving forward in their um, adult life. And if you think about our own kids, I have a 26-year-old. She has moved home probably five times Mm -hmm. since she left home for college. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think we're all done, (laughs) uh, hopefully. But um, on average, in average families in America, children return home on average six times before their 24th birthday. Wow, That's a big deal. And those are uh, families that are intact. So what do these kids do that are going, I'm done, I'm done with the system, I'm leaving, I'm signing myself out. They still have a need to be able to call somebody when they're going, I don't know what's wrong and I I think I maybe need to go to the doctor or I have a flat tire. Mm -hmm. You know, all of these things that we call home for, um, the good, bad, and the ugly, they still need that. And so that was really why we started Saving Grace, which is continuing to see that um, unfortunately, you know, I graduated in 1988. There was nothing for me then. And there was very little more all these years later um, for kids aging out of the system. Yeah. So then how did it start? Like, how did it's like, hey, I know, let's find a big building. And <laughs> It was like a modern day miracle. Um, we and my husband and I had been in ministry for 18 years and had you know, we had our retirement, but we didn't have anything in savings or anything like that. Um, so we started from absolutely nothing. We just took steps of faith and God continued to put people um, in this community. We moved here and didn't know anybody. Um, we we would um, tell people, anybody that would listen to us what we wanted to do. And probably um, within nine months after we started taking our steps of faith, that first step of faith, we were ready to open, fully wow. funded for the year. Wow. Yeah. We signed a 10-year lease for the building we're in, which is about 53000 a year um, just for the rent. We signed a, <laughs> or a 10-year lease with $1,500 in the bank. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> because that God did scary. a whole bunch of other stuff before that, and we knew he had it. <laughs> wow, that's scary. That <laughs> Brought a lot of people, a lot of people that you know, know a lot more than I do about certain things like business and those sorts of things that we just didn't have a, have a lot of knowledge about. Um, God just brought the right people at the right time, and we filed for our 501c3 and got it in six weeks, which is Whoa, that's a miracle. <laughs> yeah. And so we just had a lot of really great, beautiful, beautiful um, miracles that God just provided um, time after time as we took steps of faith to open. 
So has it been your practice or your discipline to remember those miracles when things are hard? Oh, yes, yes. And he still continues to do things. Um, You know, a lot of people, it's funny because people want to say, you know, to me, what a great thing you've done. And, you know, what a great thing you and Kent have done. And I always say to God be the glory, this is not what I've done. And they always seem to think that I'm somehow like dodging a compliment. Mm -hmm. Well, I look at it as God is a jealous God. (laughs) He doesn't share the limelight. Right. He doesn't, you know, he's not my co-star, none of that. He <laughs> is God, and he provided this, and I trust that he will provide until his time of, of uh, you know, that he feels saving grace has served its purpose. We really believe it's his ministry. One of the things that I have noticed in my ministry of writing books is every time I write a book, God heals me of something new. And so <laughs> my question, so I'm not writing any more books because I'm tired of it. No, just kidding. Um, my question is, is it that way with you when a new girl comes through your doors and then, you know, revolves out? Does God use them in your own healing journey? You know, I think the greatest thing that he has done in me through the process of watching these girls come into our program is taking me lower and lower in my posture, in my position, that he, you know, that at meet mercy's feet, we're all the same. And so I constantly um, continue to see them as much as possible. I mean, just there are times I'm human and I get my little, you know, mama pants in a ruffle. And, <laughs> um, but for the most part, he just allows me to just go before my, on my face before him and see these girls for the wounded. I mean, we talk about traumatic head injuries. And I don't know if you've ever had a, anybody in your family or your life who's had a traumatic brain injury, but it alters their personality. It's the same way with a traumatic soul injury. And when we've had these soul injuries that are so deep and so dark, and sometimes we don't talk about them until we're grown, mm-hmm. we're really grown, <laughs> like right. wrinkled grown, yeah. um, that, that God just, he, that's, that's when he, his best work happens, is when we kind of come to that place before him where we're face down and we're walking before him. And when we see these girls and the soul wounded babies that they are, we have to remember that they're his. And so we can't take things personally. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're helping people and you, you're you like, oh, we're going to give them this money and they need to spend it on this, this, and this. <laughs> I'm going to mm-hmm. give to the Lord, <laughs> but I want them to spend it this way, or I want them to use this, or if I give them food, I don't want to see them smoking here on yes. the street for the next week. Well, that's none of our business. That's God's business. And that's kind of where he's brought us is before him just face down and seeing these girls through his eyes. That's amazing. What, without sharing names, because I know you can't do that Mm -hmm. legally, but what story kind of resonates with you recently of someone that you've walked alongside? Mm -hmm. Or maybe a healing story of of Mm -hmm. those soul wounds that have been changed? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll just share one real quick. Uh, and, and if I have time, I'll share a couple. One, uh, one little girl, just to give you a glimpse of where these children are. I call them a woman child mm-hmm. because the wounds happened in their childhood. So all of their, you know, brain development and everything stopped when those traumatic things happened. And that's when their soul was injured. Mm -hmm. So all the social things that they should be doing at age appropriate, they don't. Every coping skill they have goes reverts back to childhood. So, um, 
one of our girls has a little, little girl. She just got out of prison and she uh, moved into our program, got her ankle bracelet off the day she moved in. Mm. Um, beautiful, beautiful young woman. And God has just restored her little soul. And you can just see her fighting the beast of survival, which I think the enemy loves to get us in survival mode. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you're late. And you're going, you can't make decisions very well and you spill your coffee and then it makes it worse and everything gets worse and worse. That's how they are constantly. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we, um, we knew she was going to get to see her baby girl without her shackles for the first time in years. I mean, a year. So we had put together a little gift basket for her with some jammies, some baby wash, just some things to love on her little girl and for her to just be a mama. Um, but one of our other girls that's in the program that's a, a senior in high school walked in and she looked at this basket that was on the floor and it had a baby doll in it. And she was like, whose baby doll is that? I mean, just real, you know, kind of mouthy. And I was like, oh, that's for her little girl. Mm-hmm. And um, she said, well, when somebody gives us another one, I want it. Oh, interesting. <laughs> And I was like, okay. And she's very new. This little girl's very new and very rough around the edges. Very, very broken. And I went the next week and bought her a baby doll. And um, you, it just was, I wish I could put it into words what happened, mm-hmm. but I can't. Uh, just precious. It was like she was five years old mm-hmm. when I gave her this dolly. One, she had needed a change of clothes the next week at school. And so our case manager went into her room to get her a new uh, set of clothes to take to her school. And she walked in and she had that baby doll wrapped up in a little box, fully clothed, Mm. wrapped up in her little blanket. And this child's 18 years old. So to understand where they're coming from, you have to go back a long, long ways to that little girl who's wounded, that's scared. Nobody's taking care of her. Um, And that's what we see over and over every girl that comes through our program has been had such traumatic soul injuries. And I could tell you so many stories of watching God restore them, girls learning to read. Nobody's ever taken the time to teach wow. them to read, you know? And then, you know, one of them uh, going to get her GED and she gets her GED and then first one in, in her family to graduate from high school. And then she goes to college. And when she got to the, t- the point where she had to take her midterms, that's all she could talk about. Mm. I have midterms next week. Mm. I'm studying for my midterms. She was so <laughs> excited because she never dreamed in her life she would go to college. So there's so many things. Just, in- just incredible how God is restoring. That's amazing to me. Um, you mentioned restoration in your family and in your marriage. What do you think, if you look back on all those you know, restorations you've gone through, what feels the sweetest to you? And maybe that's hard to pinpoint. I think I would say for me, the sweetest is the moments that God reaffirmed that I can trust him at his word. Mm. If you look in my Bible and I, I journaled in different passages and I have the dates and maybe what, what I was on my face about and to know that later he, I trusted him at his word. I remember when I was telling the truth um, at one point, and I was in my 30s, mm. about a man who sexually abused me as a child. Mm. And I had never told anyone, and it was a very public yet private uh, situation. It was very scary for me, um, and it was, it was like agony because I love these people. 
Um, but I got very angry at one point and just, it was about the time that I had to decide, you know, if this would be okay for my daughters to go through this. And I remember just being so angry and my kids were all in bed. My husband was going to school, um, to get his master's degree. So he was gone that night to class and I was angry and I was in my bedroom and I finally just got my Bible and plopped down on the, on the bed. And I was like, God, I just really want to do something mean to him. Mm -hmm. I was so angry. I just wanted him to suffer. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go tell everybody what he had done. And um, never knowing at that moment, never knowing that once I told the truth, women would come out of the woodwork mm. to tell that he had abused them. Oh, but wow. But never told a soul. Oh, my. So I'm laying on my bed that night, and I'm so angry, and I get my Bible out, because I know that's just, that's the only thing I know to do, and I get my Bible out, and I'm not holier than thou. I'm not. I'm There's st- days when I find dust on my Bible, okay? <laughs> Let's just face it. Let's be real, <laughs> Let's be real uh, here. And I'm opening up my Bible, and I start reading in Psalms, because everything's highlighted. And mm-hmm. I open it up to Psalm, I think it's 4-4, um, and it says, um, in your anger, do not sin. Meditate on my word. Sit on your bed and meditate on my word and be quiet. <laughs> that's what it's. And I was like, "Yay, that's what I'm doing." <laughs> I'm on the bed. <laughs> I was doing something right, and I think those moments, those sweet moments, where the Lord kissed my face that was still drying with tears, mm-hmm. in through His Word that is so alive and well. And I think that if people can hear and feel and understand what it means to allow God to restore their heart and restory mm-hmm. their story, mm-hmm. it can be, it, it's like life altering. It's such a game changer. And then it's generations because all of the stuff I went through, if I didn't allow God to heal my heart, and this was not through therapy. This was through the word of God and being on my face before the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, therapy's good. I'm not... not <laughs> Yeah, it's I like good. it too. <laughs> I it. Yes, I have awesome friends who I call often for yes. it. Um, but if if they could find restoration through his word and through prayer, it would change generations. And everything that I don't fix and work on and allow God to restore in my own heart, I will pour it out tenfold on my children. Mm-hmm. And I don't want them to wear any of that icky. Right. I don't want them wearing any of that stuff that I went through as a child. None of it. And they will. And my husband's in the process right now of working through his own things. And he grew up in a great family. <laughs> you know, y'all didn't see the quotes, but I have. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The quote unquote great family. And we all, I, we all have wounds. Yes. Yes. And I think that's, that is the gift that we give to the next generation is that holy stake in the ground. This is no more. It's stopping here, which is spiritual warfare, really. Yes. Saying, exactly. you know, I'm not going to give in to those demons, so to speak, or reality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, healing, your, your journey of healing is a gift you give to your children and your husband and mm-hmm. the girls that you're ministering to. And that's kind of why I like to speak about these things, because I, if some people say, well, it's just so selfish to be self-absorbed and narcissistic and work on your healing. And I'm kind of like, you know what, actually, that's so the devil. <laughs> it's not true because it, your healing, your kids and your husband and your li- people in your life need a healed you. Mm-hmm. And that healed you is going to do a lot more for the kingdom than uh, a sidelined you. Mm-hmm. So I commend you for that chase. I think that's what I want to encourage listeners to do is this chasing after Christ, this throwing yourself prostrate down and, you know, saying, I can't do this. I, you know, just the simple prayer of help. I can't. Yes. <laughs> I, I can't. <laughs> exactly. I cannot do it. I need you. 
Well, so um, looking back over your amazing life and your amazing story, how has, how, I know that God has restoried you in different ways, but kind of today, what would you say is one of the most significant ways that God has restoried you? I love, there's a quote from Bishop T.D. Jakes. Um, he's a pastor in Dallas. He, I have a Bible that is, uh, has devotions in it from him. And I wanted it a long time ago because it was pretty and had no (laughs) idea how God would use that to restore my heart. But in the very first page of Genesis down at the very bottom is a quote from Bishop T.D. Jakes. And it says, when God restores you, he does so in such a way that suddenly you're walking in the light and you can't recall how dark your life has been. Wow. That is truly what he did in my heart. He, I had to forgive, and I, I have to stress this. God restored through His Word and through prayer, but I forgave those people. They never asked me for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, I even had one of those people write me a note and say, I'm sorry for anything I did to cause you pain in your childhood. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was so, the first thing I was thankful about is it didn't affect me in a negative way. Yeah. It's like, I have truly forget. That's okay. You didn't even need to send me that note because I've forgiven you. And if I hadn't forgiven him, it would have offended me. Right. It would hurt my soul. It hurts everybody that I say it to. (laughs) So I know. Um, But when God restores you, he does so in such a way that suddenly you're walking in the light and you can't recall how dark your life has been. And that is exactly what he's done in my life. And I'm so grateful. I'm so, so I'm so grateful too. Thank you so much for being on the Restory podcast and for sharing that amazing story. I just really appreciate it. Thank you, Mary. The Restory show is all about community, and I want you to have the opportunity to tell your amazing story. All you have to do is click the gray box on the upper right-hand side of marydemuth.com and it says share your story. You have up to two minutes to tell us what's going on in your life and to share an encouraging story with the ReStory Show listeners. And now, let's listen to a new story. Hi, my name is Cassie. Um, I have been in church all of my life. I am a preacher's kid, and I just recently went through a very abusive relationship with a pastor. Um, I am a very outgoing person, outspoken person, biblically knowledgeable know how churches run. And as I began to grow in the calling that God placed on my life, I was told that I couldn't do it, that I wasn't trustworthy. And for three years, I dealt with panic attacks. I dealt with constantly striving to achieve. Um, I dealt with constantly being talked about when I do things right. I would be right there on the end crowd. When I did things wrong, I would be ostracized. I almost had a nervous breakdown. They wanted to put me on Xanax until I realized that my call wasn't given by man. And so therefore, because it wasn't given by man, it's given by God. And so I began to heal through that process by one, just being okay with being angry. I had to be angry first. And so I was very honest and upfront with my husband. I told him I hated this person. I said, I know it's not okay, but this is where I'm at. And slowly I processed and worked through. And every day I placed this before God. God opened doors for me, not in that church, but in other places to allow me to thrive and to grow and to flourish. But I had to understand and know that I had to know that I know that I know that God is the one who called me, not man. And so spiritual abuse is a problem in the church environment. And I feel like there needs to be more education and training on actually conflict resolution and management. There's just too much abuse. And especially with people's souls, that's not okay. Thanks so much. 
Thanks for listening to Reese's story. Do you mind if I pray for you? Jesus, thank you for Becky's story. Thank you for intersecting her story, rescuing her, and bringing beauty from the ashes. Thank you that she may have had a difficult, rough start, but that you have taken all of those painful parts and woven it into a beautiful tapestry that tells of your love, your power, your forgiveness, your um, redemption. And just thank you for the ministry that she does in Northwest Arkansas, and I pray that you would bless it. And I pray that her story would inform us today, Lord, that we would begin to not only just endure our trials, but to see them as a springboard to have further ministry with other people who struggle in the way we've struggled. Lord, thank you that you intersect and you weave through our stories in such a way that we can see your hand. And um, if there's someone listening to this podcast today that just can't see your hand or things seem really, really dark or there is, they feel like they're in a tunnel and they can't get out, I just pray your light would be shed your Holy Spirit would do something new, that you would send people into their lives who would speak truth and not lies. Oh Lord, would you bring rescue to those who are perishing, rescue to those who are in impossible situations, rescue to those whose hearts and minds are far from you, rescue those who feel like they will never amount to much, rescue those who think that their past defines their present. I just pray all of these things to the God who rescues. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to know more about today's show with links and extended information, please go to restoryshow.com forward slash nine. And may you live a brand new story this week.